And I, I want to just make sure that you're clear on where we are financially uh, this morning. So I have the numbers, the correct numbers are on the screen. And the only thing that really changes is you'll notice what our weekly budget is and our weekly giving, and then what February's giving was. And there are no brackets around the year-to-date giving. We are above budget in our giving uh, year-to-date. And last month was outstanding. Um, Not only that, if you look at our capital campaign funds, our journey of faith, um, what the pledges were expected to be, what our giving actual is, we are above in our capital campaign as well. Now, this this is happening... um, in a time when it should not be happening to a people that it should not be happening to. We have way too many poverty-stricken students and young families for this to be explained other than the kindness of God to us, that he is supplying our needs so that we can be a blessing to others. And you're to be commended for your generosity um, in a time like this. And God is to be worshipped for his kindness to us in giving us these resources during this time and by shepherding our hearts so that we are being this kind of crazy generous. So let's just pause and worship God in prayer. So bow with me, would you please? God, how very kind you are to us. That not only would would you entrust so much to us, but you would prick our hearts so that we would know what to do with it, and we would give it away. And I, I love the stories I'm hearing, and I love the privilege of being a part of it. And we hope and trust that it brings you pleasure this morning. And God, we bow to worship you as far kinder than we deserve. And it's from that posture now that we ask that you would give to us now through your word, that the good, loving, hard teachings of Jesus would be sweet to us, though they call us to repentance. Pray that your spirit would run before your word right now and just ready us Ready us to hear and to obey for your name's sake and for our own good. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. We are working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. I think probably the greatest sermon in history. We're getting just to reflect on and think about together. Uh, Jesus, in this sermon, he's inviting us to life in the kingdom the kingdom of God, to live a life that brings the blessing of God upon us to a life that honors our great king to a life that we love and that one day we will be so glad that we chose to live this life. Um, It's a life of no regrets. It's a life with a sense of purpose. It's a life you are happy to pass on. Jesus, as we look at his teaching today, you need to know he is standing in between the two great loves of his life, his love for his father and his love for you. And both those loves are pressing him to bring the teaching that he's bringing to us this morning. For the honor of the father that Jesus loves so perfectly, He invites us to come to him and follow him and really live together to live the life that Christ bought for us on the cross. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 says Christ's love compels us because we're convinced 
that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but live for him who died for them and was raised again. Jesus has purchased a life for you. And in this sermon that we're examining, he is inviting you to choose to live that life and no other. To live a life that will be blessed by God. So today, you have a choice to make. And honestly, I think this could be an agonizing choice for a number of us in this room. Some of us today are going to be making the most important, difficult, life course altering choices of our lives today before we leave this room in response to what Jesus is teaching us about. Because today, Jesus is going to ask us to choose between the life that he offers us and the secret life we are living that no one else knows about. That secret life of desperate longings and secret fantasies, a life we escape to and tragically hope in. Jesus says we must choose today between a life, the life that he offers, and a life of adultery. And just the mention of that word makes some of your pulses race. Because you have very specifically already you know what this this is about for you. And you are wondering, how did the pastor know? I don't know. But Christ does. You are known today. In the secret places of your heart, you are known. And through a variety of sovereign steps that include where you live, maybe even the time you were born, and job transfers and acceptances at schools and the family you were born into, you are sitting here by God's loving, sovereign plan today so that you can face this choice to choose to trust in and hope in and find our contentment in God alone and the life that he calls us to. And that life is to be a life that is free, Jesus is about to say, from adultery. Now there are some of us today who are thinking, whew, I'm glad he said adultery. I got lots of stuff in my life. I don't have that one. I'm good on that one. But I think to you, Jesus would say, not so fast, Mr. Pharisee. I am calling you to a whole different standard of righteousness as concerns this thing. And you pick it up right away in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, Jesus says, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, it's not just the act that must be done away with, says Jesus. It's the heart that fuels the act. 
Just as we saw last week, as anger is to murder, so lust this week is to adultery. And this, what Jesus is teaching us today is so contrary to our culture. I mean, we live in a culture where the top-rated television shows among teenagers show 6.7 sexual scenes per hour in every episode that's aired. That's more than one every 10 minutes. The overall percentage of television shows that feature sexual content, 70%. In daytime soap operas, the percentage of sexual references to partners who are either not married or not married to each other is 94%. And though 85% of Americans believe adultery is wrong, less than 50% of TV writers and TV executives do. Jesus is calling us to a radical opposition to our culture today. When he says, it's not okay to look and lust. It's not. In fact, he says, to do that is to be guilty at the heart level of adultery. You understand what he's talking about. It's not just the glance or the look. It's the look with lust attached to it. It's the secret fantasies that no one else knows about. It's the the memorizing and meditating of someone's shape. It's a longing for intimacy with a woman or a man who is not your spouse. Jesus' focus here for obvious reasons, is on men, but his application is for all of us, especially this day, for all of us. Jesus is calling you to choose today, before you leave this place, to leave that secret life here at the altar and choose the life that Jesus bought for you on the cross. Now, in the next couple of verses, Jesus proposes a remedy. It was read to us earlier. It's a radical one. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Don't just gouge it out, but gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body, Jesus says, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It's a drastic remedy, but not a literal one. Jesus is not proposing maiming ourselves for the life of the kingdom. But make no mistake about it, he is calling us to radical action, to painful sacrifice with your best eye because Jesus says it starts with that look to painful sacrifice with your best hand you know in in Middle Eastern cultures um, your right hand is really your only hand that you get to do most of life with you you don't shake with your left hand you don't wave with your left hand you don't eat with your left hand that's for other purposes he says cut off your right hand if you must and Some feel that this 
right hand here is an allusion, and I'll try to be delicate here, guys, to your parts. Okay. Do you understand how radical Jesus is telling you to be with respect to lust? Gouge it out. Cut it off. Throw it away. Do whatever you have to do to root out and keep out adultery from your heart. Will you do whatever needs to be done today before you leave this room to be free from an adulterous heart? I know how we in this country, in this time, need to be free from this. If you took a congregation about, or a collection of people from the American culture about the size of our congregation, in a congregation this size, they did a study to find out um, which of eight behaviors with moral overtones Americans had engaged in just during the past week. Just during the past week. So if we were representative of American culture in the past week, 150 of us here at Northwake would have used profanity. Another 100 of us would have gambled. 60 of us would have gossiped. Another 60 of us would have gotten drunk. 55 of us would have lied. 40 of us would have retaliated against someone. 100 of us would have viewed pornography. And 45 of us would have engaged in sexual intercourse with someone to whom they were not married. And that is just last week. Will you commit to gouge out your eye, cut off your hand, and take the necessary steps to root out and keep out lust from your heart? Will you do whatever is necessary to keep you from looking at that pornography again? It can be stopped. You can be free. Will you commit before you leave this place today to do whatever it takes. What's most alarming about that survey to me is the findings that they made about the younger generations who are twice as likely to engage in moral behavior than baby boomers, than my generation. So if you're in your 20s and 30s or younger, your generations are twice as likely as mine. And when you compare your generation to my generation, you're not comparing you to Mother Teresa, believe me. Okay. It's twice as likely. You're twice as likely to engage in these behaviors. They found that younger participants were six times more likely to have lied last week than my generation. Three times more likely to have gotten drunk three times more likely to have gossiped, twice as likely to have engaged in some form of retaliation against someone, twice as likely to have viewed pornography than my generation. And this is the one that terrifies me. Nine times more likely to engage in sex outside of marriage. Nine times more likely. You know, our, our church is fairly young. 
and I talk with lots of you, just casual conversation, who are in your 20s and 30s. And I have grave concerns about what you will watch without discernment. I hear it all the time. You watch stuff that makes, that gives me pause and you just roll right into it. Guard your heart by guarding your eyes. Jesus says on the front end of this is that look. Nine times more likely. Will you commit today before you leave this room to gouge out your eye with respect to those things you ought not see? You know, it's not always just about watching. Sometimes it's about relationships. Real, living relationships. And Another one of these studies tells us that 48% of men, I think these are married men, still have feelings for an ex-girlfriend or an ex-wife. 37% of women still have feelings for an ex-boyfriend or an ex-wife. Two in five adults, 40% of all adults feel that they have let the right one get away. Will you commit today, before you leave this room, to cut off your hand and gouge out your eye with respect to that relationship that is still tugging at your heart? Will you commit to never see them, never speak with them, never chat with them again? Why such a radical approach, Jesus? I mean, it's just a thought. Not actually doing it. There's a, there's a tired old saying, but it's really true. It says, so a thought, reap an action. So an action, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. And what a destiny, Jesus warns us, unrepentant adulterers will reap. Jesus says, it could cause your whole body to be thrown into hell. Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, don't you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You do not want the destiny that Jesus warns adulterers to be yours. And of course, it's devastating all along the way throughout this life, let alone at the end of life. You know, it was recently estimated that the typical adulterous husband invests almost $26,000 over a four-month period in conducting an extramarital affair. And they say once his wife discovers his philandering, he can count on another 5000 in legal bills plus an $1,800 deposit on a place to live after she ejects him from their home. 
Two-thirds of all marriage that experience an adulterous affair end in divorce. Only 5%, 1 in 20 men and women who leave their marriages for someone else actually end up marrying that person. 1 in 20. There is growing psychological evidence that adulterous behavior in parents dramatically affects children when they reach adulthood. Just as divorce in a family influence the likelihood of the adult children to consider divorce, adulterous behavior by parents seems to beget similar behavior by their offspring. You don't want the legacy that comes from adultery to be yours. And it's not just about you and your family, though it'll destroy that. See, in the Old Testament, I think perhaps the most grievous sin to God was the sin of idolatry. Idolatry is when God's own people preferred another God, a lesser God, even a false God, to him, to the one true God who was their deliverer and their great lover. Listen to how God loved his people in the Old Testament. The Lord your God is with you, Zephaniah says. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. But in spite of his deliverance and his great love, his people in the Old Testament pursued other gods. They worshiped idols. And as God spoke through his prophets to his wayward people about their sin, He was trying to communicate to them the awfulness of their betrayal and the tragedy of their unfaithfulness. And so God gave to his prophets a picture, a way to help his people understand just how by their idolatry they had wronged the God who loved them and had saved them. And the picture that God chooses to use for this most grievous sin of idolatry is the picture of adultery. Ezekiel's famous for this. Ezekiel 6 says, In the nations where they have been carried captive, those who escape will remember me. How I, God says, how I have been grieved by their adulterous hearts, which have turned away from me, and by their eyes, which have lusted after their idols. They will loathe themselves for the evil they have done and for all their detestable practices. See, when God wanted to paint a picture of betrayal and unfaithfulness towards him in idolatry, he chose the very thing that you are dabbling in this morning, flirting with, tolerating, embracing outright. He chose adultery as the thing that grieves his heart most. Our adultery grieves our loving Heavenly Father, not just our families here, though it will destroy them. Gouge out your eye, cut off your hand. Will you do whatever it takes to root out and keep out adultery from your heart? Will you commit to do that before you leave this place today? It's not just a commitment to do or to what you must not do, though that's an important part of it. It is also a commitment to what you must do as well. There was a study, a fascinating study that was conducted by Dr. Howard Hendricks of 246 men in full-time vocational Christian ministry, all of whom in about a two-year period of time had fallen into sexual immorality. 
And he interviewed all of these men, and he found a number of things to be consistent across the board. Here are three of them. Number one, none of these 246 men were involved in any kind of personal small group. None of them. Secondly, each one of these men had ceased to invest in a daily personal time of prayer, scripture reading, and worship. And thirdly, without exception, each of the 246 had been convinced that moral failure will never happen to me. And if some of you are falling prey to that kind of folly this morning, listen to this brief quote from John Piper. He says, just seeing Bathsheba bathing led to David's adultery with her. David was a man after God's own heart. David was born again. David wrote divinely inspired scripture. David was blessed with wisdom and power. David enjoyed an everlasting covenant relationship with God. So what chance, he says, do you think you have to escape the effect of looking at naked women? And I'll answer that for you. You have a 0% chance. Will you commit to doing what you need to do? The good things. The preventative things. Will you commit to a small group? Will you stop being alone? Will you commit to daily time and prayer in the Word? Will you commit to gouge and cut off and throw away whatever needs to be addressed before you leave this place this morning? And let's just settle that right now before we go any further. Let me just give you a chance right now to bow your head before God and say, I'm in. I'll do it. I'll do it today. I'll do it before I leave this room. I'll trust you with that which I have not been willing to trust you. So let's bow. Let's pray. God, we believe that you are good and that you are wiser than we'll ever be on our best day. But the things that are in our hearts and in our minds right now are not our best things. We're ashamed of them. But God, we hang on to them like they are going to give us life itself. And this morning, we sit and we hear, and God, many of us know exactly what you want us to do. And we're afraid to do it. God, give us faith and grace now to say yes. To say we will do whatever it takes to root out and keep out adultery from our hearts. Whether that means getting rid of the computer or getting rid of cable or ending that relationship or quitting that job or whatever it takes. God, we will do it. And so Lord, hear the many silent prayers of yes that are being said to you that are crying out to you for deliverance right now. And be kind to us, God, and lead us fully to repentance. Rescue us. Save us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. See, now that has to be settled. 
before we can look at the last two verses because they are so wildly out of touch with our world that unless you said yes to God to do whatever he asks you to root out and keep out adultery from your heart, uh, there'd be way too much pushback in your soul with these next two verses because they are so out of sync with our culture. In verse 31, Jesus says again, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, referencing Deuteronomy. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. In spite of all the, all the conversation around these verses, Jesus is being very clear. To divorce, to divorce your spouse except for sexual immorality is, a, is an adulterous act. Okay. It's an act of betrayal and unfaithfulness akin to the idolatry of the Old Testament. I say it's clear. The heart of this is clear. Don't miss it. But in its details, it honestly is one of the more difficult interpretive matters that I've ever encountered in all of the New Testament. Um, especially in the detail of what is that except for marital unfaithfulness. What does that mean? Because some believers read it as an exception to the adulterous condemnation. Others understand it has application only to sexual infidelity during the engagement period. You know, like Joseph was contemplating with Mary. Still others say it simply indicates that it's not, he's not forcing her to commit adultery in this case or marital unfaithfulness because she's already committed it in this case. My, probably my favorite commentary on the book of Matthew cites for me seven different interpretations of that phrase except for marital unfaithfulness. Seven. Our church leaders are not in unanimous agreement on what that means. The professors down the street are not in unanimous agreement about what that means. The broader Christian community is not in full agreement. One of my professors who wrote one of the definitive works on this agreement no longer, or on this issue no longer agrees with himself. Okay? That's true. If you'd like to know what our church's position on these matters is, I want you to go to our website. And if you have not read this, you need to read this. Go to our website in the leadership features column and read our church's position paper on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Our elders worked really, really hard and wrote a compassionate but honest document endeavoring to explain in great, far greater detail than I can share this morning on these matters. It, Here's a quote from that. It says, contrary to our divorce on demand culture, Jesus is insistent that it is not lawful to get a divorce for any and every reason. When you search the scriptures for positive affirming statements about divorce, you find none. Absolutely none. Scripture does record a conversation in which Jesus states that divorce was given by Moses, but then only as a concession to the hard hearts of the people. That's hardly a ringing endorsement of divorce. The crucial question we should be asking in matters of divorce is what would most please and honor our God, not what is permissible. Okay? This document is full 
of grace and truth that I'm not going to have time to bring to you this morning. And uh, it's worth your time to read that. But you need to understand the controversy I'm alluding to, it's in the details. We are in agreement about the heart of the matter. It's clear. To divorce in virtually all, if not all, circumstances is an adulterous act, Jesus says. It's an act of betrayal and unfaithfulness. Now, about that commitment you just expressed to God to do whatever it took to root out and keep out adultery from your hearts. Will you stay in a hard marriage to keep that commitment? Would you take the language of divorce out of your vocabulary and stay and trust God in ways you never have before? Will you gouge out your eye and cut off your hand? Will you do whatever it takes to root out and keep out adultery from your life, even if that means staying in a difficult marriage? What if you think your situation is exceptional? It's one of those exceptions that are often discussed and considered in the Bible. I'd say, let us help you. Come and meet with one of our leaders and let's walk through the scriptures together. Don't make these decisions alone. Our best and brightest minds struggle with these. Let our elders and pastors shepherd you through these processes. You wonder why Jesus is so strong here. And I think probably one of the best answers to that is is in a man's story named Glenn Wolfe. Glenn died alone in Los Angeles at the age of 88. No one came to claim his body. The city paid to have him buried in an unmarked grave. That's sad, but it's not unusual. It happens all too often in large cities where people tend to live disenfranchised lives. But Glenn's situation was unique, however, because he was no ordinary man. He held a world record. The Guinness Book of World Records listed him as the most married man with 29 marriages to his credit. This means 29 times he was asked, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Forsaking all others, do you pledge yourself only to her so long as you both shall live? And 29 times Glenn Wolf said, I do, but it never quite worked out that way. He left behind several children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, a number of living ex-wives and innumerable ex-in-laws, and still he died alone. He spent his entire adult life looking for something he apparently never found, and he died alone. That's the legacy of divorce. It destroys relationships. It is a web of unfaithfulness, betrayal, and a violation of our most sacred vows and covenants. God hates it, Malachi tells us. It's a type of the thing that most wrecks our lives and most grieves our king. And Jesus here, with great clarity, says it's adulterous. But perhaps even more shocking to us are Jesus' next words. He says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And, he says, anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus says, anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. 
Again, even if we allow for a much disputed exception that is intended to be exceptional, Jesus is clearly telling us that virtually all remarriages are also in this adulterous category. This is Jesus' teaching, not mine. How can this be? Well, well, maybe, just maybe, a legal paper from our divorce courts doesn't really terminate this sacred covenant made between two people with God as witness. Maybe that old marriage still stands and still needs to be honored and maybe still could be reconciled. You know, I could tell you a number of different stories from people at North Wake over the years who have gotten divorced and then been reconciled and remarried. Gouge out your eye, cut off your hand, do whatever it takes to root out and keep out adultery from your hearts. If you are divorced, would you be willing to stay single to keep adultery out of your life? Again, the complexity of these details can be mind-boggling. And I urge you, let our elders walk prayerfully through this with you. Listen again to what our, our policy says on this. Our elders and pastors at Northwake are committed to shepherding our families through all stages of marriage, the good and the difficult. We are committed to continue studying and bringing the wisdom of the scriptures to you with compassion and honesty in your time of need. Should you find yourself in a difficult place in your marriage or if you're considering divorce or remarriage, our elders urge you to meet with us and to seek our shepherding in this crucial area. We're always available to pray for you. And to bring the counsel of the scriptures to you for your good and for God's joy and honor. It says many people have gone through a divorce before having a relationship with Christ. And others have experienced divorce through no desire or decision of their own. Still others may have divorced because of their own wrongful choices. But have since experienced the repentance and forgiveness offered through our Lord Jesus. We want all of you to know that you are welcome. Along with all the other sinners in this church. There were three messages in giving greater detail to this at the end of 2006 um, on marriage, divorce, and remarriage by Mark Lederbach and myself. Those will be online again later this week. Um, If you want to think more about this, that would be a great resource to think and pray about these kind of things. Because I admit, having thought about them way more than I wish I had to think about them, these are strong words from Jesus. But they come to us from a loving Savior who unquestionably demonstrated his love for us on the cross. He will not mislead you. He can be trusted even in these secret matters of the heart. Will you today, before you leave this room, commit to gouge out, cut off, do whatever it takes to root out and keep adultery out of your life? Now it... It's a pattern of ours at the close of our service to invite people as their first step, not their only step of obedience, but their first step to come forward for prayer. Uh, alone or with a friend or, or someone from their family or our elders and ministry leaders are at the front to pray with one of us. Um, 
And people come forward for many reasons. Sometimes it's what God is dealing with their own hearts. Many times they come on behalf of another whom God has given them a great concern for in the issue that's before us. So today, as people come forward for prayer, you need to know they're not all horrible serial adulterers who've been caught in it by the pastor today during the service, okay? But on the other hand, I think Jesus has sufficiently raised the bar of righteousness so that every one of us here can say, we need to root out and keep out adultery from our hearts. So let me encourage you as a worship team comes to lead us. Before you leave this room, will you commit to gouge out and cut off and throw away to do whatever it takes to root out and keep out adultery out of your heart? If you're willing to do that, I would urge you just to come for prayer as a great first step for you or for the one God's put on your heart in these matters. Let's stand and worship our King.